so we're kicking off season three here on the cold oatmeal podcast and as i was thinking about this it struck me that um you know those fuzzy little caterpillars it's you know season one it's kind of just slow plotting just trying to figure things out and then you know it goes into its cocoon and then season two the butterfly how much time did you put into this <laughs> thinking, thinking or whatever. i think i, keep going, I don't keep going. Have you have a problem because there's no phase after butterfly <laughs> right no what there are is we a, now? there is a phase the beautiful butterfly spot on somebody's windshield you stole my life. yes that was it the butterfly <laughs> oh. comes out it comes out and it's beautiful and that was season two we definitely we kind of grew into our wings we got some fun guests and did some other things and then you know splat splat season three <laughs> Cool. Here we go. Have you prepared what you're going to say for the, the intro, since you're part of the intro now? Oh, we're doing an oh. intro? Yes, we have to do an intro. Your Are face. you prepared? <gasps> God, no, I'm not. <laughs> no? Aww. Season three, you got to be in it. That's probably what it was, so you already did it. It's already done. <laughs> <laughs> intro over. <laughs> Welcome to Cold Oatmeal, a podcast by the Rush Strategies team about PR and public affairs. Really. I was distracted staring at Joe's cold oatmeal. Yeah, well, it's here. He's got it on his, it's on his it's desk always right here. here. It's always here. And by the way, the, the, the ratio of like fruit to disgusting is like 1 to 10. It's got some disgusting stuff and some fruit. Yeah, There's nothing disgusting. One part fruit. What's, what, what in there is disgusting? I don't even know what's in it, but it, it looks like cucumber mash and... Maybe a couple of chopped apples. Did you have Burger King for breakfast? What was your... Save it! <laughs> Welcome back. This is the Cold Oatmeal Podcast. This is Matt Resch of Resch Strategies. Uh, we are a public affairs and a public relations firm uh, headquartered in Lansing, Michigan. We've moved. New studios. Very fancy. Very fancy. It's a little warm in here, though. We have a light. Heat got turned on. Yep, on air. On. Heat is on. Feels amazing. Season three. Here we go. (laughs) That's (laughs) gross. You can always find us at reststrategies.com. We are on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at reststrategies. You can always find our podcast there on the website, but also uh, iTunes, uh, Apple Podcasts, all those popular podcast platforms. We are there, and you can listen to us, uh, as always, too. The podcast has a Twitter account. We've taken the summer. We've taken about three and a half months off. We still haven't figured out who runs that account. Hoping that maybe we could know who that was kicking into the third season. You're blowing it. It's a mystery. We're over there. I'm sorry. <laughs> How what are you am doing? I I, I, you're messing with your mic. Keep going. Oh, sorry. It's fine. See, I don't like this arrangement. I can't see everybody. Like, in, You're in never going to see. I'm the only one. Here, sit over there. Right here. That's right the back. same seat. Okay. No, it's not. He can see. I'm good. He can see everybody from there. I can no, see well, everybody. I have a really good view of everyone. Okay, we're going to plow through because I'm not going to get up. We're going to go. Right. <laughs> Next time, though. We'll the uh, whole caterpillar butterfly windshield thing. Is, it's coming to, yeah. coming to fruition. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can see the semi truck coming now. So this is the first episode, season three. Um, of the Cold Oatmeal Podcast, and we have an amazing guest, and I, I am excited for you all to hear this. I'm excited for you to hear how this came about, because it was a little bit like the Great Whale. I spent most of the summer trying to track this interview down um, with some help some, with some friends, and then 
kind of on the spur of the moment, Joe and I trucked down to Detroit to talk to Charlie LaDuff. Um, for political junkies and news junkies, you probably know who Charlie is. Charlie is um, a, P- a Pulitzer Prize winning reporter with the New York Times, or he was with the New York Times. Came back to Detroit, has done numerous TV gigs, uh, print gigs with the Detroit News, Fox 2. He now has a podcast um, called The No Bullshit News Hour. Uh, he's written a few books. Uh, one of those books we're going to talk to him about in this podcast. Um, and it was an adventure, Joe. Yeah, no, it was weird. Uh, it was I think weird. I was telling uh, Nikki and Steph, or Nikki and uh, Laura about it, and I think my big takeaway was that just we were not cool enough to hang out with Charlie LaDuff. I don't think we no. really should have been in the same room with him, but that's sort of... Uh, there was a moment after... So after we got done, Charlie very graciously wanted to go get some beers, multiple beers. <laughs> and so we were at a bar in downtown. And so Joe and I stuck around for, we stayed for about an hour and a half or so. And I think I said to you at some point, if we want to, we could stay here all night yeah, and wake up in the backseat of our car because we've spent the entire night with Charlie Duff drinking and, and carousing around across Detroit. Yeah, but no, I think but we was... both lamely thought, no. We should. I was thinking the entire time, home. I was like, oh man, it's going to be cool to go to bed at like 10.30. I'm excited. Which is, God, I suck. All right, whatever. That's what we did. So before we get to our guests this week, uh, why don't we go around the room? Everyone introduce themselves. It's been a long summer break, in case anyone's forgotten. Hi, Nick DeLewis here. Joe Beshi. Laura Beal. Stephanie Vancouvering. Nikki O'Meara. So Charlie LaDuff, again, is our guest this week. I will say a bit of a warning uh, for those who are uh, maybe not fond of the profanities. This might be an episode you want to listen to with, with earmuffs. It's good stuff, but at the time, you know, you can't you can't uh, keep Charlie contained. So, fair warning to all. Don't let the boys listen, Sarah. That's right. Here's Charlie. <laughs> well, Charlie Duff. This has been an adventure just in getting this booked. <laughs> just exchanging the calls, the texts, and, I don't, uh, and the 45-minute warm-up for, for <laughs> yeah. this, too, has been an adventure. Hey, that's life, man. That's right. Life's an adventure. Thanks for making the time. You're welcome. Joe, we are in, I'm not sure where we are. We are in, I think Charlie dubbed it Hipster Haven here. Yeah, I mean, this is, this is something else. This is weird. Podcast uh, Detroit, their studios weird. downtown. Tell us what you see. I see, uh, well, I see, if I look out the window, I see, like, a barren landscape uh, and... A bunch of stuff that you really probably don't want to hang out that close to. And then uh, if I look out into the bar area, I see a bunch of, uh, you know, hipstery white people uh, eating expensive finger foods and uh, <laughs> drinking craft beers. Craft beers. Yeah. Hey, let me put it to you this way. This That's good. Mine, mine is this. We're sitting in an old railroad car that's with windows in <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, I forgot about that, too. As if it's unbearably cold, this... Uh, what is that? It's well air conditioned. Well yeah. air conditioned train car. We got a few old uh, outside the windows of the railroad box. Uh, a few old apartment complexes. Looks like they have some new windows. And all around them, we're in Midtown near the hockey arena. All around these two apartment buildings are parking lots, and our hipsters downstairs with the expensive finger food. Parking lots owned by the Illiches. Oh, you know, basically, if you're listening in Michigan, you help pay for it. You help pay for these goddamn parking lots. I'm for development. What you about know? the finger food? Do we pay for the finger food too? Well, in a, in a way, 
the thing, no, what what happened here with the finger food, the finger food is helping, the finger food is supposed to go to the schools. The property taxes in, in this railroad box we're sitting in are supposed to go to the schools. But if you live in this district, those taxes are getting captured and they're going to the hockey arena to pay for that. So the consequence, if you live in Escanaba or Lansing or Battle Creek or Ann Arbor or Ferndale is Detroit schools were, you know, reconfigured, bad schools, good schools. The good schools get the per-pupil funding, as all schools do, and the bad schools got the debt. So the hockey arena and all of this money around us was supposed to go to help pay for the schools. Since it goes to a billionaire, everybody else in the state's kid gets less money. So, for instance, if you're in the Ferndale Public Schools, your kid gets $7,500 for school, right? And whatever Ferndale doesn't come up with in seventy five hundred, the state will give you the rest. Detroit gets ten thousand five hundred, something like that. So Detroit gets ten thousand five hundred. The kids see seventy five hundred. The billionaire sees three thousand. And if we would have spread that around the state, then all of our kids could have been funded at eight thousand. Does this make sense? Or am I meandering? We're all paying for this shit. I'm for business, but I always learned as an American that business means you risk your capital, and if you're successful, you get a return. That's what interest is. That's what it is. That's what profit is. We're not here to indemnify, right, the investment of a billionaire. That's not how capitalism works. That's how crony capitalism works. Damn it, men, I tell you, that's how (laughs) socialism works. Where the government picks the winner and the loser and takes the people's money. Let's go. Let's go right now. Tries it. Let's go. Ah! <laughs> what was the first, do you remember the first story you ever reported? Uh, I was just looking at those, uh, those <laughs> crab cake uh, <laughs> fried onion balls. Mm. How much are those, bro? I, I have absolutely no idea. You're the one who owns this hipster railroad car. <laughs> Where are you taking us? I own the studio, not the entire plaza. Let's be clear. But and for what it's worth, I will qualify. So there, there are other, uh, as I love to call them, glorified food courts uh, in the city. Uh, one of the reasons why this one hasn't had any restaurants bail on them because uh, they're always pretty well popular. The prices are actually, dude. You can get like a solid meal here for ten, twelve bucks and be full and be happy. Thanks for ruining everything I just said. I'm just, I'm just saying. Well, like, I want to well, make sure it's how not. Much, how much is he paying you for that commercial? That's right. <laughs> Everything's a fucking hustle. Now. <laughs> <laughs> Detroit hustles hardest. It <laughs> was such an eye-opening experience. Hold on a second. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we keep the cheesy motel bells That's in right. the studios. Yeah. That's right. You got okay. it. You got it from the hot sheet whorehouse, the old temple, <laughs> that temple hotel. Right Absolutely. There? I once did a story there, room fifteen. The uh, I, I profiled it. The only virgin in the place was the Mother Mary hanging on the wall. <laughs> Some Chaldean guys. They let me put a tape recorder under uh, the bed in room fifteen. Shut <laughs> up. <laughs> it used to be on Detroit News's website, but once again they changed the providers and lost their archive. It was some. That was some good stuff. Detroit's about awesome. It. Uh, my first, my first, the first story, story you ever reported. Ooh, you remember? Good. No. No, I, I remember uh, like elementary school doing the Penny Press, having something in there and feeling good about it. But no, I do you re- always want to be a reporter? No, no. What do you want to be? Tap dance? You th- you threw out nuggets like that, and I. I'm just curious. I, I dude, I, I just wanted to be cool. Okay, 
Seriously, mission accomplished. You know, you. Oh, thank you. (laughs) This is my own tie. Um, (laughs) No, I don't know. I, you know, I went to Michigan. I just went. It's the only college I applied to. That was kind of stupid. I guess I got lucky there, and you know, I graduated in the requisite five years. I dropped out my junior year, and I went to Ireland, closest country you get to that spoke English. And I got the travel bug, and when I uh, graduated, I hitchhiked to L.A., then I went to Australia, and I went around the world. Thought I had some stories to tell. I met up back in uh, New York with all the guys I graduated with uh, from Ann Arbor, and one guy says he's going to journalism school. And I'm not a rube, but I didn't know there was such a thing as <laughs> journalism school. I'm like, you fresh off the road. You got stories to tell. Like, that's interesting. So a couple years later, I went. I went to Cal Berkeley, and – uh I don't know about the first news story I ever wrote, but I can I can tell you about the first internship I had. I finished Berkeley. I sent them everywhere, man. Oakland Press, Detroit Free Press, Kansas City Star. You know, I, I couldn't get shit. I didn't get an offer, not even a free one, nothing, not in my hometown. And then I'm like, shit. babe, what are we going to do? Because my wife's <laughs> from Detroit. And then I got a call from a podunk paper. Little podunk paper says, we saw your clips. We're very interested. And I said, well, you know, I got a lot of offers. So I'm going to, you know, I'm going to need an answer in two days. And said, well, the boss will be back and we'll be back to you in two days. And and that podunk paper was the New York Times. <laughs> I swear to God, it's a true story. Luck, so that was your first, your first gig? Luck your first. Re- I did do uh, a couple weeks in the summer in between uh, uh, my years at Berkeley at the Alaska Fisherman's Journal. Okay. To be quite honest with you, and that was great, hitchhiking and sleeping in a tent. And does know. that happen? I got to think the New York Times is not the first gig for anyone. That had to Dude, be. Dude, I know. This okay, is, it's, I'm not making. It was the Alaska Fisherman's Journal. All right, but, but I that's mean, hardly. Yeah, you, know, that you want to be speedy for a podcast, right. and it was great because John Pappenheimer, an old Baltimore Sun guy, he owned that thing, the mm-hmm. Alaska Fisherman's Journal, and I used to write my shit on a legal pad and mail it to him. And by the time, you know, my summer internship was over, I came back and I'm in Seattle and I have to type them up on the old electric typewriter. And, and he comes with my handwritten legal pad stories and he goes, right here, Charlie. See right here, right here. Charlie, you wrote, you wrote, the sun slink. The, the sun don't slink, Charlie. The sun does two things. It rises and it sets. That's all it does. And it, he taught me, you understand what he taught me there. Don't overwrite it. Simple declarative periods. Keep it clean, keep it simple, keep it rhythmical, right? And that way you'll connect with the people because reading is like listening to music. It is physical. It's a physical endeavor. Your eyes move. There must be a rhythm to it. And so, so after all those, all those letters and stories you sent out, what does the wife say to you when, oh, yeah, I got a call today. We're going to New York Times. She goes, you I mean, <laughs> yeah, partay. Well, she was at school, so she stayed uh, in the Bay. And uh, I went to New York and partayed. Cool. I, it was a hip-hop label. Friends of mine from Ann Arbor, they uh, they were in Wall Street, the old colonial section where uh, Washington was um, inaugurated. And they had a fifth floor and the roof, and it was like a hip-hop label. And it was awesome. I mean, it was going all night. I slept on the roof. That's where I slept, in Wall Street, <laughs> on a roof, right? And it'd be like five in the morning, you got to go to the New York Times and, oh, you got to hang over. So I used to, I was right by the elevator where all the bosses would come up, intern, crappy seat. And I turn on the computer and I rub my brow 
and I chew on my pencil. And I just wait for the hangover. <laughs> <laughs> I just really worried. But, I, wait, but I stayed late. I stayed late. 10, 11. Look, man, you're a 30-year-old man and, you, and you're in New York. You, you know, and that served me well because I like to write about the people there. I, I wrote about some of those hip-hop artists mm-hmm. from East Brooklyn. and You know what I mean? Was that always the kind of beat you had? The kind of It's always real the one people? I chose. Always yeah. the one I chose. And but you don't uh, always get to choose that at first when you're just starting off. You always choose. Yeah. You got to, you know, you never, look, you listen to the boss. Right. And they're teaching you stuff. You know what I mean? But your interest is your interest. Your desire and, and your trajectory in life is, is determined by you and chaos. But you are the pilot of your ship. So if anybody young's listening, I, I believe it's a really exciting time in journalism. Everybody tells you it's horrible. It might not pay as much, but you're not really doing it to get rich. But if you get good at it, you'll make a good living. But follow your heart. You know, and don't think you're going to change the world. If you you think you have the solutions, then you be governor. Otherwise, I, I just imagine getting paid to hang out and just write somebody's stories and, and your observations. It's, it's the most beautiful thing there is. I read that you said once, although it was online, so who knows if it was true. I read that you said once online. On Wikipedia, so, who knows if it's true? So it's probably. <laughs> I may just be making. I'm sure this up. it's right. No, you said. I think you tell me if you said it or not. That you're not a journalist, but you're a reporter. Mm-hmm. What do you yeah. mean? Um, you know, it's, there's a, a documentary about Jimmy uh, Breslin and Pete Hamill. I mean, titans in 1960s, 70s, 80s, 90s New York. These guys were great. I mean, Jimmy Breslin even did beer commercials. Uh, son of Sam wrote to Jimmy Breslin. I think Jimmy said something similar, but I didn't crib it from him. It was my own. It's, I'm a reporter. A journalist is like really highfalutin. It's 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 what everything's turned into, in in my opinion, which is it's Ivy League. It's sanitized. Everything now reads like a term paper. There's no what we used to call "Hey George," in the morning. "Hey George," the paper arrives. You know, Mabel's reading the paper and she says, hey, George, did you see this story? That's gone. Like. Topless man or headless man found in topless bar. (laughs) It's a really famous headline, New York Post. Like, where is that stuff? Like everything's eggheaded. In fairness, how often does that happen, though? But you go go look for stuff. (laughs) Right. You know, and so I'm a I'm a reporter in the New York Times. They have a style book. And New York Times, uh, it's forbidden. You don't call a lawyer an attorney. You call him a lawyer. And you don't call a doctor a physician. You call him a doctor. And you don't call an undertaker a mortician. You call him an undertaker. So why are we calling ourselves journalists? Doesn't diminish. I, I think it uplifts what we do if you're a reporter. And it's, we're just doing word games. I don't, I'm not really sweating this at night. <laughs> Why are they all calling themselves journalists? I don't even have cable, dude. I, I don't even watch. But, you know, I mean, where's the good writing? You can tell my first love is writing. I mean, I'm a TV guy. It's pretty yeah. good at it. But, I mean, the word. The word. Everybody listening, listen to this now. It's the most democratic art form in the world. Almost everybody, and sadly, not everybody, but almost everybody's taught to read and write. It is a complete democracy of expression and ideas. 
That's why I love it. So what do you? You're you're, you're, you're going. Go hmm, that's all right. No, I was just thinking about. It. I mean, I I I I write for a living and I hate it. So it's it's it's. <laughs> you you hate it or it's just hard. You sweat it. <sighs> or you hate. It. Just be honest. I'm thinking about it. Okay. I. It's radio, man. So we need to put Joe on a we, couch we, here. We, we need to this. Well, I don't do. I don't. <laughs> we I don't got time for. <laughs> I don't. I don't. <laughs> I don't do what you do. I do the. I do the boring, sanitized stuff. What do you do? Press releases and like op eds for people that I don't want to write. I mean, I, that's, that's not writing. It's 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 writing, but it's not what you're talking about. It's, it's a different thing. It's, it's lying. It's work. It's, it's work. It's speechifying. I know. <laughs> Why do you think I said I don't like it? Well, you do like it. No, I don't. You do. I need a job because it pays. Well, I like that. So let's be honest. Yeah, you know, it's like corruption around this town. Corruption doesn't happen by one person. It's a culture. It's because we want to be paid. So be proud of what you do. And then figure out how to get the fuck out of it. There's <laughs> nothing wrong. It's honest. <laughs> but it's, it, doesn't feel, it doesn't feel true. Yeah. Does yeah. writing come easy for you? No, it's hard. No. Is it hard? Yeah. Like, you know, when we were meeting up today and I, I didn't do my best work last night. And... You know, there's there, there are like bricks in a story. You know, who, what, where, when, why, how, mm-hmm. and get a quote from this guy. And and I, I didn't do. I thought it was good. I thought it was actually better, but it wasn't what it needed to be. It, it this one needed to be a, a dry wall of brick and mortar. And uh, uh, you know, the editor helped me. I, I love editors. That one was hard for me, and I started to write it like how I wanted to, and I'm like the points getting missed. It was basically about. Ah, forget it. You don't want to hear about municipal bullshit. But I started to write it in, in, in the short story way. And I and I tore it all up. I said, it's not appropriate for this. What's the news? Boom, 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 boom. We'll live another day. Mm-hmm. So it is hard. Writing, everybody knows writing's hard. But when it comes out and it's right, man, it's good. It's good. Right? You know that. You're a writer. It's got to feel good I, sometimes. Yeah, Joe. no, I mean, yeah, Come on. there's st- <laughs> <Forget that. laughs> Come on. other shit. You've <laughs> yeah, no, I when you when you nail something, yeah, it, it's That's... you feel good about it, and then it's it's there forever, and you you have it. Do you read it to people? I don't do that. I do. Well, oh. I'm not as good as you. <laughs> no, I just I because again, I like to read my my stuff out loud, even to myself, before I read to others, because again, it's rhythm. Right. So, like a sentence will be something like, let, let me translate it to a song. That un that un that un. The dad let da 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 Oh no 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 no! Right? And so you fix it. That's why I like to actually hear it to see if the rhythm is right. It's interesting because you'll turn the radio. I mean, nobody wants to listen to Nine Inch Nails in the morning, do? So you said words. Words are important. Social media. What's your feeling? Your thought on social media, what it's done, it's a good thing, bad thing? It is or, a thing. It is a thing. That's, that's all I could do. I mean, we, you know, we're, we're just having fun. I, I hope yeah. it comes through to people. Listen, we like each other. And look, it, it's here. I, I, well, it doesn't matter if I like it or don't like it. It's, it's not going away. It'll probably wear out. It'll morph into something new, right? Has it made journalism better or worse or reporting better or worse, do you think? Uh, it's made people nasty, but it's made people accountable, but it's made a, like a, a whole lot of bullshit possible. I mean, I don't know. I, I look at like my, my Twitter account. 
and it's really a numbers game. It's a popularity contest, isn't it? And it's, it's again, uh, a market of ideas, just like writing. And so everybody looks at how many followers you have. I mean, and how many people you follow. I don't follow anybody. Last guy I followed is dead and buried. That was my grandpa. I don't follow. <laughs> we can we can powwow. We can kibitz. We can you know sit around the fire and determine things as adult people. But I don't follow. So I got zero followers, and I got about forty eight thousand people who follow me. No offense. Thanks for tuning in. But I got the only thing you want to come to me for is okay. What do I have? What do I have? Forget my opinion. I don't do Trump. You know, I don't, I don't do any of that shit. I do, here's what I'm working on. And there's a reason to come here occasionally if you want to, because I'm in a corner of the world holding it down pretty good. And, uh, yeah, there's a lot of jackasses. Hey, what do you know, man? This is the greatest, greatest mayor in 40 years. And, and you're just throwing shit on him. And that's the one person out of a hundred, right? But it's one person out of a hundred making you lose sleep at night like what an asshole what, what an asshole. You, never mind the 99 beautiful people like keep going bro you don't you care about that so you, you let it go just and by the way asshole one guy i like it if you keep me honest and you're and you're helping me help the community we don't got to be personal but i spent 10 years Knowing this city and this state, the budgets, the police staffing, <clears throat> you know, you name it, got my fingers in it. I'm kind of an expert on it. What do you mean 40 years ago? 40 years ago, we had 1.3 million people here. 40 years ago, we did have a balanced budget. You know, 40 years ago, things started to spin out. But um, I don't know if you could say like that. You got, you got to really know what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. But add something. That's right. what, that's what it should be used for. Adding to the conversation, not. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and, you know, I put on my, my, my gas plan. I saw that. Talk about your own plan. What is plan. it? It wasn't bad. Let's hear it. First of all, let me go like this. Whitmer shit to bed. What the fuck? She's now learning, right? There's more to governing than throwing shit against the road. Like you're getting limoed to work and you're like, oh crap. <laughs> I don't, I don't have a gas plan. 45 cents for everybody. That's the most regressive tax that's going to kill working people and poor people and anybody with five kids trying to drive to the lake for a vacation. That's terrible. I'm sorry. You just now made the Republicans look like the party of the working people. Well, that kind of thing. Here's mine. And, you know, I'm just I'm open to negotiation. Somebody should be. Number one. Two point five billion dollars a year. Two point. $2 billion a year are paid out in lottery winnings. It's about 60% of lottery. 40% goes to, yeah, you get it, bureaucracy, paying the gas station guys to sell it. Okay, let's tax the winnings 10%. $220 million. Okay. Okay. You're not taxing the ticket. People still going to gamble. Mm -hmm. Okay. <clears throat> I know you're going to be angry at me, but keep the pension tax in place. We're looking for money. We're not looking to cut. Like, it's there. And it, it was grandfathered in. It's gradations. And I know, folks. I know. I don't like it either. But 38 other states also tax pensions. And most of the ones that don't are south of the Mason-Dixon line. So you get what I'm saying. Okay, you, you're not. Okay, but it's already there. No, I'm, 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 it, I'm already there. Um, 
tax heavy trucks. You know, we have overweight trucks in this state like nobody else does and they tear up the roads. Tax them one penny a mile. $400 million. You're the ones tearing up the roads. Cars don't tear up roads. $600 million, we roll back the generous tax cuts we gave to business. So we're going to hit big business, 350 employees or more. And if you took sweeteners, tax credits, cash subsidies like Chrysler, like GM, like Ford, like Bedrock, right? You're going to get hit and we're going to raise it $600 million because we gave under Snyder tax cut to all business of $2 billion in the depths of the Great Recession. Economists today figure that cut is worth 4 to $6 billion. And with the Trump tax cuts to business, well, you can give us 600 right, since all of our taxes went up. Now, the next one, raise gas tax, $0.15. Cents. That's $700 million. So $700 million for the gas tax, $600 million from business, $400 million from trucks, 300 million from not cutting the pension like Whitmer wants to do. And 220 from the lottery tax is 2.2. Boom. What are we looking for? 2.2. Now, old people got their pensions tax and they're mad. And I get you, man. We're all dying on the vine. How about we do this? If you save your gas receipts and you're retired, we'll rebate the 15 cent a gallon. So you don't have to pay the gas tax. How do you make that up? Well, you got an electric car, dude. You ain't even getting gas, <laughs> but you're using the road. So we're going to increase your registration a little bit. Again, I'm open. Share the load. Share the road. You're welcome, Gretchen. Steal it. <laughs> That's catchy. Thank you. you. should be a writer. <laughs> Steal it. <laughs> I used to write for Motown. You know, I used to live... I used to live... Um, just next door to the Motown Museum. Okay. Yeah, until the cops told me to move my van. <laughs> <laughs> so you wrote a book, Shit Show. Four books. Four books. You've yeah, written yes, my latest uh, the one sitting right here. Thank you very this much. This one came out uh, last year, right? After the, uh, 2018? The paperback came out uh, like two months ago. Okay. Yeah, the hardcover came out last year. So it's a, for people who haven't read it, you should read it. But it's Read the whole title. Shit Show. The uh, country is collapsing and the ratings are great. Yeah, I say it like this. Shit show. The country's collapsing and the ratings are great. <laughs> you work on your read. Sorry. <laughs> like Tony the Tiger. They're great. Right. So you travel. Great. Well done, sir. There we go. So you traveled all over the country. You talked to some fascinating people, found yourself in some amazing places. Um, and the articles I've read about it say kind of give you – credit so to speak of being someone who predicted the, the the rise of donald trump or at least the the this the, the underlying political discord amongst people who allowed for him to get elected yes you agree with that can you use simpler words sorry <laughs> what do you mean what, what, what's the question so you talk to people all over the country who were pissed off yeah for a na- any number of reasons right black people white people brown people yes yellow people, in all parts of the country people mm-hmm and orange people. That's right. Orange. Yeah. Orange people. Um, but the point being that as you're getting towards the election of, of Trump, like a lot of people are like, there's no way this guy can win. Yeah, but I he mean, wins. Who's going to bet on the, the star of a pussy grabber video? I mean, you know, it's a bad <laughs> bet. 
Was there a moment? Billy Bush is working again. Right. Sorry, but go ahead. <laughs> Was there a moment in your travels? This is the longest, worst question ever. No, you're fine. You're gonna you're gonna get through it. We'll edit it. That's right. Now, is is there is there a, is there a moment during your travels where you thought, okay, this guy could win? Yeah. From what I'm seeing around, and I'm, the people I'm talking to, this guy could win. But the minute he was announcing, yeah, I mean, he's talking about trade. He's talking about money. He's talking about your future and, and how we got screwed. I'm like, eh, maybe this time he actually does it. Then he's like, Mexicans are rapists. I'm like, world record flame out. <laughs> he just flamed down five minutes. But as, as you went around the country, I don't know how Donald Trump figured it out from you know his gold tower. His brass tower on Fifth Avenue must have been on one of the construction sites. <laughs> but he did figure out what everybody was talking about. And and stop it, liberal people and conservative people. Stop it. We all know it's not working, especially if you're from around here. NAFTA didn't work for us. WTO didn't work for us. Banking deregulation didn't work for us. Forever wars don't work for us. And we're the ones who send the young men our family members, we're the ones who send the jobs away. You know it. If you're from Michigan, you got the worst water, the worst roads, the worst power grid, and some of the worst schools. Come on. This is Michigan. We created the modern United States. And if we're like this, well, God damn it, we're not in a country. And sure enough, sure enough. So I'm like, yeah, the guy's got a chance. I, I knew it was, I'll tell you how. I would knew the polls were wrong. Hillary was supposed to beat Bernie by 25 in Michigan, and he beat her by two, and nobody went, whoa, 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 whoa. So the, the discontent, the discord is also on the far left. It's I don't even like to say that because I believe we are a nation of people. And just like a family, we don't get along. And there's a cousin you never fucking want to see. But <laughs> we're, a, we're a country. We're a people. And so, yeah, I got upset when, you know, I don't know what I'm talking about. I don't think there's anybody who knows this country better than me. I don't mean it to sound that way, but I've spent 20, 30 years on the road. I love it. I crossed the Mexican border. I haven't been to the border. I covered it for the New York Times. I crossed it three fucking days in the lockup house, the whole deal. You know, end up on Long Island laying sod for some guy. And you know what the Paco, 18-year-old dude, Mexican dude out in Long Island, he goes, he goes, Charlie, man, man, you, you were good, bro. You know, we're laying side. He's like, you were good, bro, man. What, where'd you learn to do this? I go, who the fuck you think did it before you got here? <laughs> <laughs> How that's you... a fact. And Paco's my brother. He's my brother. And I needed to chronicle <clears throat> me and Paco, excuse me, Paco and me, proper English, because like all grandchildren, they want to know where they came from. And you want, that's the beauty of writing. That's the thing, leaving a roadmap. Not only to entertain you or inform you today, but I do look at journalism as art. I always have. It's its own particular kind of art. And it upsets me greatly when I see it being washed and rinsed and hung dry and starched and be, just turning in a pile of dead leaves. An old, dirty, overused cloth baby diaper with stains all over and it's just shit so when you're thinking about a place to go and do one of these go work and lay sod or, or cross the border do you go there because you think there's a story there or it's yeah. a, or there's an interest to you and you're going to get there and think and then you say then you start looking for the story that's around it well yeah you i mean you know just don't go there with any pre 
preconceived right. notion, but you know there's some action going on it. Like I won the Pulitzer Prize. I worked in the world's largest slaughterhouse. I knew there's a story there. I don't know what it was. And I know I had to get a job inside there instead of, you know, standing outside like, you know, the New York Times. Excuse me, the, the school pay, senor, <laughs> is that um, thousands of repetitive cuts or tens of thousands of repetitive cuts? No. What I want to do is work that job and then you're laying <clears throat> and you're – I rented a, a garage with a mattress and made a desk out of tires and an old door and you're laying in bed and your muscles spasm and your arms curl up into like question marks because of the carpal tunnel. It's like that and it's $7.70 an hour and at one o'clock they turn up the killing machine, right? Your job is murder and they turn up the machine to make production and then the plant is black. And it's white and it's red because this county, North Carolina, is one-third Lumbee Indian. And then the fourth color showed up, the brown. And it's murder and it's – you can't hear. And this was 2000, the year 2000. In 2001, I crossed the border. And that was the height of you know, the illegal immigration. And I'm like, I chronicled it. I didn't even mean to. I just – that's where the story was. And that's – that feels good for me and everybody I promise that participate in those stories that put themselves out there. So our grandchildren know you're written down. And ultimately, that's all a reporter has to offer somebody is the dignity of having your story memorialized. And that is all you can promise. You never pay. You don't you don't you don't care about the cocktails or the cool kids parties or the White House Correspondence Dinner. Fuck that. That's, this is cool to me, you guys. This is what I live for. I mean, I don't need to be, you know what I mean? I don't need to be around Brad Pitt. Yeah. He's cool. <laughs> Brad Pitt's all right. Well, Charles, good stuff. Thanks for it? doing this. Yep. Oh. I'm good. Is this thing on? <laughs> Are we recording? Oh, it's on. No, you son of a bitch. Start it over. Do it all over again. We <laughs> We're recording? Get, we didn't get any of that. Low ball. All right. You buy me a beer, right? <laughs> Because I'm Ubering home. <laughs> no, we are good. No. I'm an Uber driver. Are you? Have you done that job? That would be a place to get started. Oh, hell no. <laughs> hell no. I don't need a man knowing where I'm at. <laughs> That's, yeah. That's a good point. That's a very good point. <laughs> no, I don't, need, I don't have Uber because uh, I don't want – it's just I don't want to give people my card and my map. Well, I would think your yeah. car is pretty cool, but I'm guessing if you pulled up in, in to pick people up in that that caddio of yours, that people might be a little. What are you? You're giving little, eyes. Little what? I don't know. They're a little, a little excited, nervous. Motherfucker. That's a '77 <laughs> like, Fleetwood. That's a '77 <laughs> Fleetwood. No, it's a paint job on it. I drive that year round. What I do every every spring is I take the trim off. I put a grinding wheel on it. Two cans of Rustolian, Matt. <laughs> It looks good from 50 feet. <laughs> hey, I'm, I think this economy's shaky, man. I'm not really getting <laughs> I just, well I just, this past weekend, I just sanded off all the rust on my car. And I, I use POR 15, different, diff, different rust only in paint. But yeah, I'm riding that thing to the ground. Cause How's it look? It looks pretty it good. It looks fine. It's a 20-year-old Jeep Cherokee. It's, oh, it's a Jeep Cherokee. Yeah. It's, uh, Matt Black? Yeah. It looks hot. It's a rat It's ride. fine. Yeah, it's fine. And there's no rust that you see. I mean, there's probably some underneath, but and it looks pretty good. what do your ribs look like on that? Yeah, uh, they're looking they're looking pretty bad. Paint them silver or black. Okay. Put the black on. Then need a terminator, bro. 
That would be that would be a step in the right direction. Right. Yeah. Terminator, that's, bro. That's, I, I, that's I, I like Joe's this new dude because I'm not a sucker. I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> fucking new car. You're right. New Jeep, whatever's keys. Jen's cares key. <laughs> you know, seventy five thousand dollars. Yeah, I no, no. I will. I th- that my car was five grand in I don't know whenever I got it two thousand five. I'm gonna. It, it's it's great. It's, really? It, yeah, it runs. I've had no. I mean, I've changed the oil and I've had a couple things that like I've replaced. Yeah, I'm, I'm on top of it all. I'm, I take care of it. My it's favorite been part. Awesome. My favorite part You've of Joe's Jeep is that the top is collapsing, and so if you, he has a passenger, which is a, which is me. It's falling down on my head. Just the, the rest of it's it's not, fine. It's not actually collapsing. Just the it's, yeah, the it's fabric. Just, it's oh, it's, so it's fabric. Yeah, it's a canvas. It's yeah. it's a yeah. It's not like a Wrangler. It's like a Jeep Cherokee. So it's like there's like a little oh yeah. It, there's a top, but there's like a little fabric thing like between the. Is it canvas? Is my no? It's I, I don't know what the hell it is. What is it? It's I don't know felt. It's like a felty know. kind of thing. It's <laughs> okay. it's not nice. Do you know what gaffer's tape is? No. Gaffer's tape is like – it's got cloth fiber in it. Okay. It's what they use on movie sets and stuff. The shit's magic. Okay. Use that. Very flexible. Doesn't gaffer's freeze tape. and fall off. Gaffer's okay. tape. Uh, we'll get you some – this is a hipster joint. I'm sure Somebody, somebody everybody's in the movie business around here. <laughs> All right. I'll do that. Man. I, I, you get your craft absolutely. beer, Wait, can I do crab cakes, before we go? and gaffer's tape. The shit show. It's uh, – oh, by the way, it was a bestseller. It's not, good. not as big a bestseller as uh, Detroit was, and it's also a bestseller in Poland. <laughs> and I'm, I'm in a couple, of, but I like to do this. I'm going to mix the book up like it's um, like the lottery balls. I'm going to spin it around, and then you're going to close your eyes. You're going to open it. You're going to point to a word without looking, and I'm going to pick up exactly from that word. Okay. And I, I guarantee you're going to like this book. I mean, I'm not here to sell this book. I'm glad you brought this book. <laughs> Go buy this book. Everywhere's on Amazon.com. And, okay, I'm ready. Close your eyes. Give a little reading to take us out. Okay, here's the book. I pick a word. Yep, and just put your finger right on the word. Okay, right there. Okay, that's the word. Began rolling. There were two women on the back. One was plainly pregnant. I don't know if it was the cameras, Bob's red, white, and blue do-rag, or his speckled white legs and white socks, but the coyote freaked out, spun the craft around, and throttled back from Mexico, but not before giving me the finger and shouting, Motherfucker, you costing me money! It was my old pal who had buzzed my kayak and threatened to cut my throat earlier. I smiled and waved. Spratt came walking out of nowhere. He was escorting yet another reporter around the park. We were all there. CNN. Breitbart, Texas Monthly, BBC. Good God, where was Field and Stream? I pointed out the coyote on the opposite side of the river. He lifted the pregnant woman in his arms as though they were newlyweds and set her back on the sand. Why do I have to do your job, dude? I said to Spratt. No comment, he grunted. They'll be back once you leave. I had no doubt about that. There's an old saying in journalism. When you think you're finished, knock on one more door. With the little resolve, maybe we could actually watch the pregnant woman come ashore and surrender to the Americans. A coyote flipping me off and threatening to sever my jugular is good, but seeing him act as a ferry service while U.S. agents helped a woman up the slippery banks would demonstrate the point nicely. Do you feel the rhythm there? Feel it. Okay, wait, I'm going to keep going. <laughs> <laughs> I instructed Matt to take the east side of the bend in the river and Bob the west. 
I positioned myself in the middle, working as the lookout and attempting to communicate with each of them by hand signals. The jet skis on the Mexican shore fired up, and the smugglers raced in a circular mania, trying to create a distraction. Suddenly, Matt started screaming, but I couldn't make out what he was saying. Maybe he'd been stabbed. I don't know. I ran to him. He wasn't bleeding at all, but he found two men lying low in the tall reeds, their legs hidden in the river water. You know the border is out of control when three reporters from Detroit can find illegal immigrants hiding in the mud of a Texas backwater crawling with lawmen. By the book, shit show. The country is collapsing and the ratings are great. Yes. Charlie LaDuff, thank you so much. Thank you, brother. That was a good show. That was good. Thank you. Should we get a beer? I'm going good. I'm going. Let's go. made it back in one piece we survived yep that was charlie that was our evening with charlie fascinating time i loved what he said about writing you know what there were those moments in this the whole thing where he yeah there's some crazy in there but those moments were i didn't even crazy (laughs) (laughs) he's very smart yeah there's no one like him yeah Mm -hmm. and he's on it's like you're he's it's like you're watching him on stage every minute you're with him i was exhausted I don't know what you think, Joe. No, I, I was. I was, I was completely I, exhausted yeah. by the time we were done. We were yep. with him for maybe four hours. We did. I no no joke. We we sat in the studio for forty five minutes, just kind of watching him go before we even started, and then we talked to him for about forty five minutes, and then we had a few beers. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, no, it was. Uh, could have stayed all night. Woke up on the roof of a hip hop label, and <laughs> that's right. And like I said, we were just not cool enough. It's just. Not cool enough. Yeah, we were in the back alley outside this uh, place called the. Sh- it's called the Shipping Company in Detroit, and it, it really was old uh, train cars, uh, shipping containers that had been put together into this kind of. It's true, glorified food court. Food trucks have kind of come in there. There's this podcast studio, Podcast Detroit. Uh, we met the owner of that, and there's a there's a dance you know dance floor concert venue kind of thing. It's just pr- pretty cool place. So we're out. Of course, we're not in it. We had to go to the back alley to smoke cigarettes because Charlie was smoking some cigarettes. And so we're out there, and it was fascinating. How many, like, how many of the people who work there, the folks in the kitchen, would come walking by, and they were like going Half back and them. back and forth between like the dumpster and the kitchen, and they would their head would turn, like, and then they would come back a second time, and they'd give a closer look, and then they'd be like, "Hey, you're the guy from TV," and he would take he would take selfies. He took pictures with people, and. It was it was fascinating. All while just on stage, he just kept going, kept going. But Sounds like you guys had fun. It was good. It time. was cool. It was fun. Mm-hmm. So the summer's over. A lot of things have a lot of things have happened to our little team here over the last. But before we get in that, any we should probably make sure we check. Nikki, have there been any Twitter polls? I at, see one at Cold Oatmeal Pod over the summer. There was one. Yeah. Um. It said it, it was asking about dad jokes. Oh, good topic. It is a good topic. It, it, we talk about it a lot. 
on our team. Uh, so the question was, are they underappreciated genius or unfunny and unoriginal? And 82% said that they are underappreciated genius. So the people have spoken. They have. <laughs> people like dad jokes. That one seems a little rigged. <laughs> it, it, just a tad. Yeah. I like dad jokes. They're just, they're said often around here. <laughs> <laughs> Not by me. No, not by you. Mostly Matt and <laughs> and Nick will say some every once in a while too. That's mm, it's mostly Matt. Yeah. It's mostly Matt though. You and this is all triggered. I don't know who put the poll the, the the question up there, but of course this was all triggered by the one time this summer we all got together for yeah. lunch because you know so we we're in new offices. We moved um, from uh, North North Washington down to South Washington, and because of some scheduling issues with our office being ready, we just all got to work from home for about six weeks in the middle of the summer. It was awesome. Um, so none of us got to see each other or talk to each other except for one lunch where um, Nikki made fun of me for making a dad joke. Just endless dad jokes. That's why. Endless. And, th- and then so I said I, I wasn't positive exactly what. I don't think I know what they I mean. What a dad joke means. I don't think I've ever heard you make a dad joke. What I think I would, we have different definitions of what dad So then what did are. you do? You went online and <laughs> you. I looked up the definition you of a dad joke. You looked up the definition of dad joke and what, what it was. It was, it was something the that I don't. It was the most insulting thing you've ever said to me. <laughs> I don't. That It wasn't my definition of a dad joke, whatever it was. To me, they're just corny jokes. That I think it was. Some dad say and some other people say. Unoriginal <laughs> jokes told by middle-aged men. I think that's yeah, what the definition that was. Right. That sounds yeah. right. That's not my definition, though. Just. So you know. So I appreciate the <laughs> the Twitter poll coming to the defense of dads. Yep. So quickly, let's go around again. We haven't seen each other in weeks, even now that we're in the office together. It feels like this. Uh, this may be the first day we've all been all been together again. I think so. Are we all sick of each other already? We're ready to take another three month <laughs> hiatus. Has nothing to do with all of you. No. Yeah. It's the heat in here. Yeah. Laura, you had some. What What'd you do this summer? You did something. I moved. Yes. Here and. Bought a house. That's exciting. Bought a house, moved, got food poisoning along the way. It's good times. Nikki, you did something fun. I went to Europe. I went to London, Paris, and Rome for two weeks, and that was really fun. It's a good time. How about you, Steph? I did not do anything fun. I chaperoned my new ninth grader to all of his various activities. So I was I was a carpool mom. You went to Hilton Head or something? Oh, I did. I went and saw some girlfriends, and and I did have a family vacation in there. But it was it was all okay for me. Joe, what do you do when you're not here? <laughs> I, I I got married this summer. Oh, you know what? That would happen. It would happen. <laughs> it would happen like that. That would be true. I didn't do anything. Don't ask me that question. There's, there's no news. On I literally just looked to see if that ring was on the other hand. <laughs> I know. That would be the way you'd admit it to. Mm-hmm. All my friends from college think that I have, or or could show up with like a family that I've had for five years and be like, "Ah, these are my kids." I have a brother who yeah. lives over in Macomb County, and that's that's the running gag in our family is that one day Jake's going to show up at home, and he'll introduce us to his wife and his six kids. Yeah, and we we, we <laughs> won't have known that they even existed. I'll be sure to. Uh, I'm not going to get married, but if I do, I'll I'll not, I'll not tell you about it. Thank you. Great. How about you, Nick? 
Oh my goodness. Well, you know, I am a dad. And so I hung out with the boys a lot and told them lots of jokes. I'm sure I, if, if there was one sort of thing that stood out to me on my calendar, it happened relatively recently. I, I went to my first ever MMA fight, martial mm-hmm. a cage fight. I saw that. I, I went to a cage fight, um, because my wife knew she was, she worked out at the gym with, uh, with the main eventer. And so we went and uh, had a, we got a table with all of these all of Sarah's gym people, and we sat. I mean, I was four feet away from the cage, and it was. This is the first I'm hearing of this. What's that? I didn't hear about this. Yeah. I saw this. Yeah, on we Facebook. went. It was an experience. It was different. Um, it was bloody. It was gross. Yeah. There was this picture of you and your lovely wife standing there smiling like yeah. you're in front of like Mount Rushmore. You on, sound like you're not vacation, into it. Not in front of I'm a bloody cage. It. What the hell? Why? Yeah. That seems like something you'd it's, like. It's so incredibly violent. Um, you I, are a fan of boxing. I love boxing. Boxing is artistic. It's There's science. Um, it's it's beautiful. Boxing is beautiful to watch. Um, this is just brutal. And I, I'm not trying to demean the, the incredible athletes. I mean, they're world-class athletes. I, I could never do what they do. I, I'd die on the first little spinning punch that they landed. But um, I, th- there was one fight where the main eventer um, was, was a, a woman, and it was the first ever it was billed as the first ever MMA fight in Michigan with a, um, women fighting in the main event. Um, and she, Sarah's friend, my, my wife's friend won. So that was nice. There was one other fight in the evening that featured women and the, you know, and and this was, it was at the Delta Plex in Grand Rapids. And so, you know, half the fighters are fighting out of, you know, blues gym in Grand Rapids is, you know, they're just bringing in local talent to fill these spots. And they had this poor woman fighting out of Grand Rapids who's wearing like a, a, sports bra from Macy's and like some gym shorts and she just got annihilated and I mean she's fighting this real fighter who came at her and she's doing these you know street fighter two moves and nailing her with these yeah stuff straight out of video games and blood is spurting everywhere and yeah no one made her do that that's her fault no I'm I'm not saying it's not her fault it was just very difficult for me to watch my wife loved it she's like get her kill her wow Jeez. I went to one of these a few years ago, and the moment, well, first of all, it was at like a seedy hotel in South Lansing. The moment I walked in the door, I knew that I didn't belong there. I made, I made the comment at one point in the evening, I have never felt more Caucasian in my life. Yeah. That's saying something. <laughs> <laughs> that was a dad joke right there. <laughs> yep. See, that's just a good joke to me. I think that was. That you was like funny. dad Nick jokes? Is, no, Nick is just the whitest guy in the world. That's that's a funny joke. I just additional evidence that none of you know me. You all think. Uh, but, oh yeah, Thug Passion. I'm sorry. Thug Passion. He's got a name. I, you move out to Fowlerville and everything changes. Yeah, the way people look at you changes completely. So I discovered over the summer that this podcast has quite a little. Uh, following we actually we had our first binger someone who took their summer vacation if they were answering this question right now what did you do for the summer vacation peter spadafore would have to say that he spent his summer vacation listening to the cold oatmeal podcast time well spent Yay, peter and he would ask me about episodes throughout the summer and they've been harassing me he and adam bitely and others have been harassing me when this episode was going to be coming out when we were getting back on the back on the horse so they'll be happy to hear that charlie is with us for this episode so all right season three we're off and away here we go splat i want to thank charlie leduff uh for making the time for uh joe and me to come down and and experience what we experienced 
I want to thank Nick and Joe and Laura and Stephanie and Nikki for being with us, and we will talk to you next time.